Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. The CFO role is changing rapidly, moving from cost controller to strategic visionary. And with every change comes opportunity. We are here to help you take advantage of this transition to win at work, drive your career forwards and lead with confidence. Join Hannah Monroe, Managing Director of ITAS, a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0. I'm very excited um, to have Ian Stewart from Deloitte joining us again to talk to us about the latest CFO survey. So welcome, Ian. Fantastic to have you back on the show. Oh, thanks very much for inviting me back, actually. Um, uh, Yeah, so looking forward to the conversation, Hannah. Yeah, because um, so you recently released your latest CFO survey. Before we dial into necessarily sort of the, the results and what you've seen, do you want to just tell us a little bit about this survey? How many CFOs you were speaking to? What does the what were the participants like and where they come from? Just to give some yeah. context. Yeah, so so um, we were talking to about a hundred CFOs of I mean, these are large companies, so they are mainly FTSE 350. Uh, companies or their unquoted equivalents. So they might be family businesses, private equity owned, um, or um, the uh, subsidiaries of, of big overseas businesses. So we are we are going out to survey, you know, the UK's biggest companies. And to put this in some sort of context, I mean, the companies we survey generally account for about um, 20% of the entire equity market by market cap. So these are these are uh, it's not a huge number of companies, but they are very important for the economy because they the decisions the CFOs make have a disproportionate effect on um, uh, corporate spending, on hiring, on wages, um, and on the overall direction of the economy. So, as the chief economist at Deloitte, I mean, I decided twelve years ago when I set up this survey, we really ought to understand what CFOs were thinking, which is why um, I set up the the, um, the, the, the the survey. And it's it's a it's pretty broad based. It's across all sectors, so there's no um, you know there's no particular bias within sectors. So I'd say this is like getting a gathering of a hundred of the most important. CFOs in the country in a room and then asking them a whole load of difficult questions. <laughs> so, so in terms of timing, because um, obviously you you guys do this survey every quarter. When when did you start the survey, and you know how recent is the is the data that you're looking at? Yeah, it's very very recent actually. It's the um, it's the uh, early part of July and the very end of June. So. You know, it's a period which coincides with this this very big rise in um, COVID cases, the the, the Delta wave, um, and it, it 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 closed before we started to see case rates coming down. So, I mean, obviously, for the last year, this survey has been dominated, as everything has, financial economic by the pandemic. Um, but we were particularly interested to be running this at a time when you were seeing a, a third wave and unexpected rise in, in case rates. 
albeit with the prospect of the reopening of the economy on the on the nineteenth of, of of July. So it's, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, one of the things we do with this survey is we try to. We, we when we finish, we finish very quickly. We publish very quickly because the data need to be of the moment. Because of course, you know, every, things are changing so so quickly. And was there anything different about this particular survey? You know, just to put the the, the results into to context. Obviously, apart from the opening up and the um, the uh, what's it, the wave, the increased wave. Was there anything else around the situation, or, or maybe the type of survey that you did that differs from other ones well we so what we did do is and actually this is going to be something that we're going to build on is that we um, have included questions on climate change now um, I mean this is this is very unusual for us because we ask CFOs about things that are very relevant to the decisions they're making day to day about expenditure, risk appetite, how they finance the business. Um, and we we definitely avoid questions, wide ranging questions, um, which, you know, you might argue are not, not really the province of the CFO. What we what we felt increasingly, though, is that um, climate change and the consequences for big companies has become a you know, board level and very much a CFO issue. So we want to reflect that in this this survey. So we included um, that, and we're going to do more questions on climate. I think the other thing for me was that this is taking the temperature of the UK economy after the biggest downturn in history in the middle of the year. And, you know, the, this has been a year in which activities come in much stronger than expected, um, sentiments improved a lot you see it in the equity market so for me this is a very kind of important survey to see whether you know looking at the companies which really will determine the direction of the corporate sector in the UK whether we are right to think about this being a kind of v-shaped recovery one which is you're going to see a real snapback in activity which takes us back to where we were before the pandemic you know perhaps in a matter of less than six months so you know this survey gets quite a lot of coverage in the media the bank of england and treasury for it very very closely um and i think it you know it is it is an important one and also to see whether delta the delta wave was affecting how cfos felt about their own their own businesses Absolutely. So but now for the exciting bit. So what did this survey actually tell us? Were there any big surprises from your perspective? Well, I mean, it, it's a very upbeat survey. It's it's a very upbeat survey. And I think that, you know, we, we always distinguish between um, questions which relate to sentiment. So it's you know, basically, how do you feel today, Hannah? Do you by and large feel happy? <laughs> so those, those sort of questions. To, uh, we don't ask questions exactly like that, but we ask, you know, do, do you think the outlook's improving and so on? And then the questions which are, um, you know, are, are you are you planning to increase capital spending? You know, is are you are you planning to do M and A? So now that's much more like asking you, Hannah. You know, are you going to go and buy a washing machine tomorrow or uh, you know a sports car? So. Because, I mean, sometimes you do find that sentiment moves, but you don't see the actual planned behaviours of CFOs moving as as much, which may reflect the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty. And what 
I guess we're seeing in this survey is that you know we did see a big rise, very very big rise in sentiment in the last uh, quarter, very strong sentiment this quarter. But actually, what it's doing is changing the way in which CFOs are running their balance sheets, and they have um, shifted decisively from what they were doing six twelve months ago, which was about building up cash, um, cutting cost, reducing debt. So really bomb-proofing the balance sheet um, of the company, so battening down hatches for a you know what, what proved to be a huge contraction in the economy. And they've completely switched towards M&A, investment, um, and, and growth strategies. And um, building up cash, reducing costs, have gone dropped down the league. So I, I think... You know what we're seeing is signs that you know there's, we've heard a lot about pent up demand, haven't we? About consumers saving a lot of money and consumers rushing out and um, spending money on new cars and all sorts of things. I think there's a similar story going on in the corporate sector. The big corporates built up uh, cash um, and strengthened their balance sheets during the downturn. Not all of them, but 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 um, many of them, and that. With the recovery coming, and in some areas, demand coming in much stronger than expected, um, they're now planning to they want they want to grow their business. Um, so, if I were sitting in the Bank of England or Number Ten, I'd be encouraged by this because I think what it suggests is that uh, we're getting a recovery, which is not just about consumer spending, but it's also about companies spending and building capacity. So, so with that increased cash flow, what does that mean for, for where companies are going to be investing? Is there any prioritization around that at all? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing uh, very strong readings for pretty much all forms of spending. So CapEx, hiring, and actually discretionary spending. CFOs rarely seem to be very keen on discretionary spending. Um, but Actually, within that, the area which really comes out is technology and IT. So sentiment about spending there is particularly strong. And I think that probably picks up on a theme we've seen over the last 18 months or so, which is even during this huge downturn, investment in technology in a lot of companies has held up. I mean, for some, it's been um, an absolute necessity um, for others, there's been an opportunity to make changes which perhaps might be difficult in other circumstances. But I think one of the encouraging things out of this survey is this focus on technology as a way of helping improve business business performance and actually change the business. And of course, you know, businesses are also having to cope with a, a, a different world of work and different working patterns, which you know, are likely to mean you know, technology is very much to the, to the fore. And you mentioned discretionary spending. What do you classify as discretionary? Well, I mean, I, I think it. I mean, that's a very good question. We don't we don't specify exactly in the in the question, but I would say um, uh, for a lot of CFOs, that would be things like um, training, education, um, uh, travel, hospitality, entertainment, uh, maybe things like um, marketing subscriptions. So. You know, a whole raft of things, and I think it'll vary on the, you know, within the within the company. But uh, I mean, I'm I'm quite interested in this because, as I say, you know, we found that 
over the last 12 years, um, cost control has remained a very big focus for CFOs, actually, actually during the global financial crisis, but afterwards. And that sort of focus on cost seems to have reduced quite significantly. And and is that correlated to, because I think um, in terms of the, one of the outcomes was that they're very much focused on growth. So is that is that investment piece, is, is it seen as more of an investment, this spend, or is, is there anything else driving why, why, this, um, why this spending is increasing? Well, I, I, I think um, there are probably a couple of things that work. One, one is that companies in the UK are, in some sectors, are seeing a tremendous surge in demand. Um, and in a lot of sectors, capacity is reduced. You know, we, we see that in areas like hospitality. Um, so you know, that, that combination of very strong demand and reduced supply means that there's a race to increase capacity. And you know, this is exactly the problem that the global semiconductor industries had. Um, nobody, least of all the car industry, anticipated the pace of the turnaround. And so we now have a world shortage of, of semiconductors and rising prices and surging invest, investment in uh, manufacture of, of, of semiconductors. And I think that is a sort of microcosm of what's happened to a lot of sectors. So there's firstly about building capacity, but I think the other thing is about trying to improve productivity, you know, profitability, um, and, and, and there's a range of products. And I think that technology is seen as a way of helping to, to do that. I mean, we know from history that often big downturns are followed by quite quite sort of significant structural change in economies. So uh, downturns shake up economies. And I mean, this has been a, a very big downturn. And of course, it's forced upon us all sorts of change. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's plausible that coming out of it, um, CFOs see an opportunity to rethink some of the things they're doing and they see a combination of sort of organisational change and the use of technology as being a, a, a way in which they can drive um, productivity and, and profits. And, and you mentioned a few industries there, so manufacturing and hospitality being the ones you've just obviously commented on. But were there any surprising trends across industries that you weren't expecting, or was you know, or any interesting trends that were identified? Well, I, I, I mean, to me, the, the the really interesting sectoral story is that the pain in this. Uh, downturn has been distributed very unevenly across the economy. And I think you can distinguish between three types of sectors. The first are sectors um, like, say, information and technology, um, the utilities, which were very little affected or sort of modest effect from the downturn in the first place. You know, so demand held up. And they are continue, you know, they're operating now at levels of output which are um, close to or, or even higher than where they were before the crisis. So there, there, there are those those resilient sectors. You then got sectors like, say, manufacturing, construction, retail, uh, which had a huge hit to activity during the downturn, but have snapped back very, very quickly. 
you know, so much so that, of course, in you know some some areas we're we're seeing skill shortages. And I think the third category are the sectors which were very badly affected by the downturn. I mean, uh, hospitality, hospitality, leisure, and the arts sector uh, is the you know the most compelling example where output is still operating an awful lot lower than it was before the pandemic. So I think. You know, I think that's a useful way of thinking about things. You know, the, 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 those those who, who 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 by and large got through very well, those which suffered a lot but have bounced back strongly, and those that suffered a lot and haven't, you know, bounced back much much less. And I think that feeds through to the question of well, as government support winds down, which sectors are likely to see you know, more distress coming through in terms of things like um, insolvencies. It's clear that there are some sectors which have suffered much more strain than others. Uh, and talking of availability of um, funding, um, ha- has there been any change in the availability, is, is basically is the availability of credit, etc., driving this increased or is this mostly cash reserves that are then being able to be spent? Well, I, th- I think it's a combination, actually. I mean, I think we're, we're in an environment where it's very easy for corporates to raise money, um, particularly large corporates. Um, banks are extremely willing to lend um, and at, at very attractive rates. It's uh, the bond market, you know, yields in the corporate bond market have fallen significantly, e- even for higher risk corporates. So, uh, debt finance is cheap and available, um, and we're starting to see more equity finance. So we are starting to see some um, IPOs coming through. So I think the the kind of capital raising environment is very conducive to a recovery. But it is, as you say, also the fact that corporates are sitting on very very big cash balances. There was a step change in levels of corporate cash. Now, you know that that again is distributed very unevenly across the economy it's skewed towards um, larger companies but those larger companies do tend to be disproportionately the drivers of capital spending in the economy so this is a really really unusual recovery one accompanied by extremely loose credit conditions and by companies with very very strong balance sheets or larger companies with very strong balance sheets um, that's very different from previous recoveries where often the corporate sector had taken a real knock and where interest rates were high and credit was hard to come by. And I think it, it fits with the idea of, you know, a, 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 a strong snapback in activity with CapEx playing a big, big role. So, so I guess the, the one question that seems to have almost died off the radar with all of this talk of COVID and what's happening is, is Brexit. So is Brexit still a concern in, you know, has that come up at all in the latest results? Well, we, we, we do ask about Brexit um, <laughs> and we, we have been for the last four and a half years. I mean, what, what we've seen in the survey is that it's, it's, it's really sort of dropped down the list of pressing priorities. You know, for most of the last four and a half years, it's been the dominant priority. It was supplanted, of course, by the pandemic. It's now, I think, about um, item seven on the worry list. Now, what we found pretty consistently is that CFOs um, think that Brexit will uh, not be good for the business environment, and that continues to be the case. And you know, I've just been this morning looking at survey, a survey by um, Bayes, the government department of companies, which actually shows 
for big companies, the problems they're facing as a result of Brexit aren't hugely changed from the beginning of the year. I think what has happened, Hannah, is that Brexit's gone from being this massive existential issue, which is affecting people's, you know, optimism, you know, their willingness to invest, costing a real pull over the economy to something which is a, you know, a, a practical and real problem for a material number of companies. And it's also one of many problems they're coping with. And so it's not to say, you know, this has not gone away. I think it's just joined the ranks of, you know, operational challenges for companies in, in, in this, the, this kind of environment. I think that's quite important because what I think it means is that Brexit is exa- exercising much, much less effect on the willingness of corporates to invest than it has, you know, than it did really ever, ever since the referendum in, in 2016. Yeah. And certainly anecdotally, when I'm speaking to our customers, obviously we've got quite a number in manufacturing and distribution. I think it's more around the, the, the clarity around how, like you say, the operational aspects of Brexit than it is necessarily about the concept. So be interesting to see how how that progresses over the next few years and as things shift. And and so you mentioned seven, it's I think it was number seven on the list of um worries on the CFOs. What so what sat above Brexit? Obviously COVID, you know, um I think that's obviously one. Was it number one on the list or was there something else it, surpassing it? COVID is number number one, but I'll, I'll tell you the one that really surprised me is number two is inflation. And oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah so it, it, it and, uh, I mean, we haven't really talked about this, but I guess the other thing that a lot of companies are facing are these, you know, these bottlenecks and, and rising input prices and, and in some sectors, rising labour costs. And, you know, we, we're seeing the same anxieties in financial markets um, where, you know, seeing some quite big moves in bond and equity markets driven by um, fears about the possibility of earlier uh, interest rate rises. So there's a really, rig- really big debate going on about whether the sharp rise in inflation we've seen over the last six months in the UK, US and Europe, whether that's just transient and whether that reflects the kind of bounce back in commodities and these short term bottlenecks. Um, and next year inflation will fall. And that's the view of most central banks, um, or whether this is going to be a more profound shift towards higher inflation, which is going to mean that we've we've all got to cope with higher interest rates uh, earlier than we were expecting. Now, at the moment, um, financial markets remain very optimistic that central banks are going to be able to take their time in terms of raising interest rates. But I mean, it would be a game changer if, if there were a dramatic shift towards earlier monetary tightening because you know one of the things that makes this such a staggeringly strong recovery is just that money is cheap. Policy is extremely loose. It's harder to imagine how it could be much looser. And if that changed in a sort of significant way quickly, I think that would cause a, a rethink about prospects for the strength of the, the, the recovery. Absolutely. And I guess, so you mentioned some of the things that were driving inflation. So was there any detail on what what sort of challenges, obviously rising commodity prices, I'm assuming, so imports and export issues caused by Brexit. Anything else driving that that awareness yeah. of risk? I, we well, um, 
high levels of skill shortages being reported by the CFOs in in, in this survey, um, and I think the you know the the, the concern is going to be about margins and pricing power. So, you know, to what extent? Well, actually, I'm sorry, margins, pricing power, and actually, the simply the sheer ability to deliver on orders when there are, you know, some components. I mean, this is seen. You've seen this in the car industry where many manufacturers have had to slow production, um, but whether some companies are going to be able to meet demand. So. I think there, you know, there are concerns about the revenue side. And there's also concerns about um, the margin side. So, I mean, uh, th- this is going to be very next few months is going to be very important because central banks will be watching closely to see whether higher input costs, wage costs, are being passed through uh, in in terms of pricing. I mean, my personal view is that um, I wouldn't be surprised if. Um, we start to see financial markets bringing forward the timing of rate rises, not dramatically, um, but I think given the sort of speed of this recovery and the pace at which some inflationary pressures have emerged, I think central banks may want to put a a, a kind of touch on the brake sooner rather than later. It does sound like there's an awful lot of optimism and a lot of cash out there. So that that would be, a, I guess, a, a reasonable next step for, for the central banks to look at. So, well, so, so, yeah. You're, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, in normal times, they would have been slamming on the brakes. I think the concern <laughs> is that um, the, if, if, they, if the, the, there's so much uncertainty about the direction of this, this um, pandemic, I mean, of course, it is nowhere near over. Just look at what's happening in Africa, um, I- Indonesia, um, places like Taiwan. Um, you know, case rates are high, and it's not the Delta variant; it's what comes after the Delta variant. So, I think policymakers are very loath to move aggressively on tightening until they think you know this is this recovery's um, uh, out of the woods. And um, although it's strong and likely to remain very strong. That's not a foregone conclusion at the moment. So, so what was so we mentioned obviously inflation a big driver um, and I guess a big risk. You mentioned skill shortages. So, so what was the um, what was the feeling around um, skills and has that changed over the last um, couple of quarters in terms of their perception of skills? Yes, it has. So we're getting um, a lot more CFOs reporting skills shortages, and I think this kind of cross checks with the data. You can you can look at data on um, job vacancies by sector and employment, and in some sectors like logistics, manufacturing, construction, some areas of hospitality, um, there's been an extremely strong snapback. The it's hard to work out exactly what's happening in the labour market. The official data show incredibly strong wage growth, but you've got to remember about 7% year-on-year wage growth, which is just staggering. Those data are not correct in that what's happened is that the composition of the labour market has changed in the last 12 months. So the people who are in work today, by and large, tend to be um, in sectors where pay is higher um, than all the people who were in work a year ago. There are, there are about 2 million people who aren't in work, you know, today. Compared with the, so, you know, there, there's something weird, you know, the numbers have been distorted, but nonetheless, we are starting to see uh, pressures emerge. I think the hope is that as furlough unwinds 
And as these people who left the job market uh, come back, back into it, that will help dampen down um, wage pressures. But I think that's, I, you know, the other factor um, is Brexit. There was a, an, an exodus of overseas-born workers from the UK last year. I mean, maybe six, 700,000, huge effect. And a lot of them won't come back. I mean, the ability to enter the UK has obviously changed for less skilled European workers. So I, I think one way or another, we're going to have to get used to a labour market where you know finding people and hanging on to them is, is, is more challenging than it has been for quite some time. And out of interest, did your survey cover any of the other elements of employ- employment? So things like a, perhaps a shift to, you know, more flexible hours or, or, or any impacts that that might have um, on, you know, what CFOs are thinking of doing and budgeting? Yeah, well, we, 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 we've asked this question and I think there is an expectation um, that we are going to move to um, a world in which you know, w- work is less focused on the um the office i mean the phrase that seems to be wheeled out is um blended or, or hybrid um so some sort of a, a combination of the two there are obviously you know ex- exceptions to that um but i, I mean uh, it's worth noting i mean home working levels of home working have been rising for 20 years more than 20 years um at a you know a, a slow pace my feeling is what what we've experienced in the last 16 months or so has been such an astonishing um experiment and has demonstrated actually a very much higher proportion of activity can be done um outside the office and i think a lot of that is likely to 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 stick and that's i mean i i i think that creates a whole set of challenges i mean i, I actually we I've, I've talked to a couple of companies in the last uh, couple of days, uh, one in hospitality, one in um, transport, where the, you know, the message was that they have found they're losing people from, um, uh, you know, cooks and um, uh, drivers to sectors where they can work from home and where hours are less antisocial. Um, you know, and then throw in the Brexit effect. You know, these are these are pretty powerful effects. So, I, I, I think CFOs are going to find that the issue of rewards and retention and talent are going to loom larger in the decisions they make um, over the next couple of years than they have in 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 the recent past. Be interesting to understand whether that will impact this shift towards, I guess, the the actual working week itself. There's been a lot of talk around the concept of a four day week, and whether you know that becomes a tool in certain industries' toolbox to actually to bring more talent through. So, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting piece. It, it is, and I I think you know how you you know are there different ways of competing in the labour market other than the obvious one of raising raising pay, and I think that you know the the the, the nature of work and the trade off between you know pressure and uh, location, the sort of quality of work, I think you know, could be could be really really quite quite salient. So I mean you, you probably have heard that terrible phrase, the war for talent, but. I'm hearing it a lot. There is a lot more. It's a long time since I've heard that phrase. But I mean, I think it does capture the fact that this is likely to be a jobs market in which 
um, employees have more more bargaining power um, and more leverage um, than they did before the crisis. So, so with the shift in terms of talent, you know, with talent, everything that's happened with Brexit, is it affecting? Because um, you talked a lot about growth, is it affecting how companies are looking to grow? In terms of, are they looking to expand abroad? How are they looking to sort of develop um, the, the businesses? Is that something that came up on the survey at all? Well, I, I think what we what we have seen is that. I think a lot of companies see the pandemic as an opportunity to think about their business in a different way. Um, and, you know, posing questions about the structure of work, about um, the, uh, the, the, the balance of um, the, 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 the balance of um, sales, you know, where, where you're selling about, I mean, Brexit clearly is, 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 a, is a very big factor. So, I mean, I think the, the, the sort of message to me is, from me really, is that I don't think this is a, a sort of common or garden recession, where well, it hasn't been a common or garden recession. And I think that, therefore, the consequences of it in terms of uh, all sorts of things, I mean, you know, obviously, things like the structure of work, the size of government, government borrowing, the use of technology, um, you know, attitudes to the uh, state, the focus on resilience over efficiency. I mean, a whole series of changes. And I think one of, you know, I think these are going to have very big effects on the environment for business. I mean, the, the other thing we haven't discussed really is, is the way in which um, climate has um, actually, uh, you know, the, the action on climate change has actually increased during the pandemic. And I think that is become an absolutely mainstream uh, corporate risk, which is affecting how uh, certainly big corporates are making decisions right now. And, you know, I think I think we're all familiar with ESG. Uh, but I think this has become an issue which is a general business risk uh, and opportunity. Um, so, you know, you've got to be wary of proclaiming new dawns and new eras. But I... I, I, I I, I think this is quite quite a profound um, change. I mean, you know, if you look back at economic history in the last 80 years, there were certain dates which were very important. And 1945 was important because it obviously it ushered in a period of much, much bigger government. Um, 1979 was important because it was um, the beginning of the, 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 the Thatcher um, era. I mean, 2008 was the financial crisis. I think the pandemic will be a very consequential um Landmark, not just for public health for obvious reasons, but also for uh, for for business and the structure of the economy. And you mentioned climate. So, so what did what did the um, survey say about the CFO's attitude and view on the impact of climate change? Well, I mean, we we, we as I say, as I said earlier, we we're increasing the number of questions, but we ask a question about you know how would you place this as a risk to your business, and it it's the third biggest risk. So you know the top risk is the pandemic, the second risk is uh, inflation, the third risk is 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 um, climate. Now I think that's really interesting because I think you know for I, I, this this is obviously not a new issue. I think at any time in the last ten years. Um, a lot of CFOs would say this is a huge, um, a huge issue. In the same way that, for instance, um, how uh, government will be able to pay for 
pension and healthcare liabilities is a is a huge issue or an aging population. But I think the difference is that it's the 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 time horizon over which it is having an effect on the actual behaviour of companies has dramatically shortened, and the combination of of regulation, scrutiny, uh, pressure from investors, um, the market, you know, all of these things are having a having having an effect. Um, and I think I think what it means is you know CFOs. Yeah, whatever you thought about Brexit, um, after um, whatever it was June of 2016, it's like you had to know how it was going to affect your 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 business, and it wasn't. You know, that wasn't like a long term thing. It was like like tomorrow, like if this happens next year, what effect will it have on, have on us? And I think climate is it is the same with climate. It's gone from being one of these big long term issues to a a big much shorter term issue. And, and is, was there any detail around the the view of the risk in terms of it was was it just around the size of the the impact generally, or is that something that you are looking to investigate as you go further? So, what aspects of climate change do they think are going to impact? Yeah, what we what we'd really like to do, Hannah, and actually, if, if anyone's got great ideas for this, it's, it's it's surprisingly hard to come up with questions you can ask again and again and again where you can gain value. But what we'd really like to understand is how it actually affects the way in which you run your business. So, how does it affect your capital allocation, your attitude to risk? Um, does it change the hierarchy of you know, all your stakeholders, does it suddenly mean that you know, that hierarchy has changed? Um, what opportunities does it create? Because, you know, we, we know that there's going to be huge growth coming out of this. There's going to be, um, you know, this is an epic energy transition. We've seen energy transitions before. We saw them, you know, the, the, the transition from um, steam to electricity. Um, you know, from canal power to, 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 to water power. So this has happened before. What is unprecedented, to use a tired word, um, but is truly unprecedented is the speed of the required, um, uh, transition and, uh, its completeness. There's never been an energy transition before where you've had to, uh, pivot so completely away from an existing source of, of, of energy. Um, so, it, you know, it, I, I mean, I think that we need to think of this um, obviously as a, a sort of existential human challenge, but I think we also need to see it as something which will remake um, the, the economy and it'll remake industries, it'll create new industries, it will create winners and losers like all big structural change does. So, so what? So, in terms of your your big takeaways from this particular survey, then what were your sort of striking moments and your your sort of highlights from this survey? Well, I mean, to me, I, I think this is this is this is the survey that the Bank of England has been wanting to see from us for twelve years because this is the series where <laughs> where, where CFOs um, are telling us they they are going for growth and. You know, they're, 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 you know, this is about capex, technology, and people. It shows high levels of risk appetite. Um, it shows that um, the there there is a kind of confidence about this recovery, which means that 
Um, CFOs don't only feel better, but they uh, want to commit themselves to um, you know actions which change the orientation of their business, and that's that's the kind of thing. Uh, which you know points to a a, a sustained recovery because you, you know the, the CFOs are clearly very savvy savvy people making very important decisions and um, you know they're making these kind of commitments and this the, 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 these sort of plans are very important to a, um, a sustained sustained recovery. So I think that to me is overwhelmingly the strongest conclusion. I think that the I'd also add that. Um, I think we must keep a really close eye on inflation risk because what would put a spanner in the works of this beautiful recovery is is clearly either a fourth wave um, or inflation um, calling um, calling time on this easy money policy party that central banks have been running globally. So, you know, this isn't an outlook without risk. Um and I, I think that, you know, all of us in business have got to keep an eye on those risks, accepting that the most likely outcome is a, a, a strong recovery. And in terms of your views on your next CFO survey, what are your watch points? What are you looking for? And are there any changes to the questions that you're going to be asking in the next one? Well, we we are we, we really avoid tinkering with the questions. We we have a set of questions which we ask, but we do adjust them at the margin. And actually, we're going to be delving a bit more into productivity and the opportunity for companies through business change and through capex to drive productivity, and also um, on climate change. We want to do that. That's going to be a permanent feature of this survey. And as I say, really, really unusual for us to, to do this because I think at any one time you can say there are lots of issues that come across to the desks of CFOs like, um, cyber, um, like geopolitics. And we don't put in permanent questions on them. I think climate is just different. Um, and I think that in the way the CFOs really been in many situations, the person who in times of great stress, the pandemic, the uh, the global financial crisis, they've had to give a lead um, and had to explain the outside world. I think the CFO will find themselves having to do quite a lot of the thinking about the practical consequences of, of climate change for particular businesses. So yeah, that, that will be a, a, a permanent feature of the survey. Another string to the bow for those CFOs out there in terms of roles and responsibilities. Well, it's a you know it's it's a very good point, Hannah. I mean, I in the time I've been doing this job, twelve years, I think the CFO's role has you know it's really broadened out. I mean, there's this idea you know there's a sort of concept of the CFO as being the sort of steward of the company's finances. Uh, you know, it's clearly so much more than that in terms of sort of relationships, intelligence, understanding markets, um, strategy. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, I think that you know the question, question is, you know, when when somebody wants to call up a member of the board about climate, who do they speak to? And I mean, it, it has it has ultimately it has big financial decisions, and that means you you you're probably going to want to speak to the CFO. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ian, for sharing your thoughts on the CFO survey. It's been a fascinating one, but surprisingly positive given the current circumstances and what's happened in the last um, 12 months. So exciting to hear what, what's coming next. So yeah, thank you again for sharing. 
um, and I really appreciate you coming back on the show for a second round. Well, thanks very much, Anna. Great, great pleasure to uh, to be here. And let's just just hope this survey keeps getting stronger. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>